0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I hope you guys liked yesterday's little uh, two-a-day. Figure figured might as well. That was one of those real might as well moments. I was already doing it. Might as well just record it. The actual posting of the podcast is really the the short part so like for yesterday i got to have a lot of stuff done talk a bunch but then for the the mock the recon mock that was one where most of the work was just like getting the youtube page set up so beyond that turning on audio recording was pretty simple pretty straightforward if you guys skipped that one i don't care really truly If you want nothing to do with the bonus episodes, you do whatever you like. I just felt like we might as well put it out, because why not? Why not? And we'll do more of that going forward. I don't see the downside. You might get an extra alert on your phone, and that might, I guess, be annoying for the next month or two, but... One in the morning, one in the evening, whatever. Today we're only going to have one episode. At this very early juncture, I really don't see a reason to run a mock draft every single day. We can do maybe three a week just to kind of see if there are any trends developing, but every day would be would be overkill. That's, that's nuts. It's too much work, and it's not helpful. You do one every day. You're kind of like that lobster in the pot, you know? You don't even realize when things are changing. You've boiled, but you have no idea how you got to this point. Anywho, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Vespers As always, this is the Sports Ethos presentation. Ethos Fantasy BK over on Twitter. Go get yourself the Fantasy Pass All Sport Edition. $7 for just two more weeks. Last call. And as I mentioned on yesterday's show, it's going up to 10 which basically, for every two months you have it, you pretty much pay for that extra month if you want. You know, there's a six month lock on these things. If you get the All Sport right now, that's forty two bucks spent over six months. That's an incredibly small amount. And if you wait a couple weeks, it's sixty bucks. Still a very small amount, but noticeably higher. Eighteen bucks higher. 18 bucks gets you two and a half months of the all sport if you just get it early you can let it go an extra two and a half months. Don't wait around you're gonna you're gonna wait around I know you guys are gonna wait around don't do it that's over at sportsethos.com today we're gonna talk a little bit more about the players going at number nine if you're just joining us, I don't want to spend too much time on the recap part of this, but we pretty much detailed the fact that Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid are going one and two in almost every draft. Not everyone, but most. And then, after working our way through some of the options to go at three, the board has kind of stabilized to where Luka, Tatum, Halliburton, Shea, and to a slightly lesser extent, Steph Curry, are the next five names off the board. Giannis is heavily going at 8, even though Yahoo has him pre-ranked at 14. No one's one's paying attention to that. Roto, you might see him not go at 8 because of how maybe you don't want to screw yourself into the punt build right out of the chute in the first round. But, as we've now begun to talk about, the options, other options for 8 or the way we've been forming it, phrasing it, building it here on the show, options at nine, are not terribly alluring. Yesterday, we talked about Damian Lillard, Kevin Durant, and Anthony Davis, the three players that we had discussed as, is there a case for these dudes to be drafted at three? We ultimately decided the answer was basically no. But then yesterday... Are these guys draftable at nine? The answer is, are they draftable? That's a different question, I guess. Yes, they're draftable at nine, but they each come with certain upsides and at least two of them, I thought, pretty significant downsides. Dame with the largest of them due to the possibility of uncomfortable run up to the season if he's still in Portland due to a diminishing job if he gets traded to Miami. Makes him a rather dangerous play there, I thought. Kevin Durant, dangerous play there because he's also joined forces now with not one, but two high-volume players. He's done fine with one high-volume player before. There was no real worry for me in that front, but add in an extra one, and you start to look a little bit more like Golden State-era Durant, which, mind you, not a bad thing, but also not you know, the top three per game injury risk type that he was in Brooklyn. And the other option that we talked about yesterday was Anthony Davis, who's in a lot of ways a lot like Kevin Durant in that he can do a bunch of things really well. They're not the same things. Those guys are, are Kevin Durant, a much better foul shooter. Anthony Davis, a tremendous shot blocker. They They do things, I guess we should say, that put them into that top five per game discussion, but have those massive injury risks. The difference between those two guys, at least going into this year, I thought, is that the argument for Anthony Davis to have an arrow pointed down is more on the, okay, does he see more minutes at power forward this year? And if so, yeah, that does hurt him. Last year, he was the center. The whole way through. There just wasn't anybody else on the team they could play him alongside. This year, there's discussion of an Anthony Davis-Jackson-Hayes pairing in the front court. I still don't think it's going to be that prevalent, but it would put a little bit of a ding, at least offensively, I think, more than defensively, because he's the better rim protector. Offensively, it moves him a tiny bit farther away from the bucket. That's not good for Anthony Davis, or big men in general. Today, uh, there's no great rhyme or reason to the next group of players we're going to talk about. Uh... So, let's just start with, in my estimation, probably the best choice for this spot. If you don't think it's Anthony Davis, I think you have to give the nod. (laughs) We're all going to have to swallow the small amount of regurgitate down. It's probably Kyrie Irving, who was on a per-game basis last year, right in there with Tyrese Halliburton, just behind Damian Lillard, just ahead of Jimmy Butler, ahead of Jason Tatum. Behind Kevin Durant, although we've talked about, again, him taking a small step back, Kyrie continues to be paired up with one other high-usage superstar. Now, mind you, Luka Doncic is about the highest-usage one you could get paired up with. 22 shots, 10.5 free throws, and 8 assists for ballgame. He had the ball in his hand on every damn possession. But that was by necessity, not necessarily by design. And if you're worried, you can just look down the stretch. Kyrie Irving was still number six, which is basically his time with Dallas. His percentages are brilliant. He's a very good defensive stats guy for a point guard. Basically the same defensive stats as, as Durant. More steals, fewer blocks, flip it around. Kyrie was behind Dame, Jokic, Embiid, Kawhi, and Shea over the final 30 games this year. The fear on Kyrie Irving, of course, is that he just got a contract. So does that mean that this is the la- was last year the highest effort version of Kyrie you're gonna get? Sixty out of eighty two ball games? It's a possibility. But I also think that last season left kind of an unpleasant taste in the mouth of most of the folks in Dallas, so there is going to be an expectation that he now delivers on a bit of that promise. Expectations can be a foolish thing with Kyrie Irving. We know he's prone to just taking off on a whim. But also, there was a shutdown in Dallas last year. He had stuff going on in Brooklyn leading up to his trade. So you could probably add four, five games back to his ledger just based on that whole thing being wiped off the board is 65 games of Kyrie Irving this coming year a good enough case to make him your pick at nine over Anthony Davis, over Kevin Durant, and over some of the names that we haven't talked about yet. This is a really, really hard spot in drafts right now. I believe this may end up being the toughest spot in a draft this year. I don't think you're going to want the ninth pick. I don't think you're going to want the 10th, 11th, or 12th pick either because you're going to end up getting wedged in with some of these guys on the way back. The good part about some of this is like, oh, well, if you don't take Kyrie at 9, and you're probably not because I don't think that he has the buzz of some of these other dudes, maybe you have pick eleven. You could get him there, or maybe you could even get him at 14. Some of these guys that we're talking about is extremely difficult to choose between at 9 because of all the ways that it could go wrong are a lot easier to pick at 14 because there's a drop-off in per-game ability as you get through some of these top 12, 13 players. But that, friends is not a discussion for today's show. Today's show, we're talking about what the hell to do at pick number nine. The nice part about Kyrie, uh, well, for one, he's, he's probably a little bit of an easier play to make on the Roto side because of the game stuff. If he, if he only plays in 60 at 82 games, it doesn't completely sink your team. If you're in Roto, it's obviously not good for you, but given that the guys at the top of the board last year just didn't play in that many ball games, Kyrie Irving was still number 14 by totals, despite missing 22 games last year. If he only, and I put those in air quotes, misses 17 games this coming season, that's probably a big win. And I don't know what the top of the board is exactly going to look like this coming year when you factor in games played, but 65 games of Kyrie, almost, I don't want to say almost definitely, that's too strong, but certainly a better than 50-50 chance that you get 65 out of him, that puts him in the first round by totals two folks picture this nightmare scenario you're hosting friends for the big game it's neck and neck in the fourth quarter and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks Boo! say all of your friends you start to sweat over the entire season he was at twenty-seven five and five and a half, one point nine defensive stats, three threes, forty-nine ninety-one split. Down the stretch, he was right up there as well. Twenty-seven five and six. 51 ninety-five's the splits there. And again, you're getting into a little bit of the limited sample size, and he missed like a third of his games with Dallas, so hopefully that percentage is a little bit better. Uh Sorry, that's my totals he was number 12. Per game, he was number 5. The last 20 games of the year. Last month, he didn't play all that much. I think he played 9 games. Took a bunch of them off when Dallas was shutting everybody down. But guess what? He was still number 5 per game. He's going to get good looks. He gets defensive stats from the guard spot. His turnovers are actually relatively low, given what he does, so that's useful if you're trying to compete in that. Yeah, he's a tougher play to make in head-to-head leagues. I get it. All of these guys are kind of tough plays to make in head-to-head leagues. KD, you probably can't do it. AD, maybe just because of the insane per-game upside. Kyrie, there's a lot of fear there. Dame, we still don't know what's going to be happening at the beginning of the season, but he's becoming a bit more aged probably plays through some stuff in Miami, but if they get off to any kind of decent start, then that doesn't become a guarantee. You get down all the way, I think, to Anthony Edwards before you see a player on this list where you're like, yeah, that guy probably plays in most of his team's games. Starting from the names we've been talking about, I know I'm I'm veering off course a tiny bit here before talking about the next name on the board. From this spot, The guys we've been discussing, Giannis Adetokounmpo was the first name that we just sort of took almost for granted that he was going to be in that, uh, that eight slot, which, you know, is not a guarantee. He only played in 63 games last year. Dame, 58. Extenuating circumstances, yes. 58, though. Kevin Durant, 47. Anthony Davis, 56. Kyrie, 60, which almost sounds like a big number. JJJ, 63, although a lot of that, again, was missed at the beginning of the year, so perhaps you get a healthy season. I don't know that we can guarantee it. Who else are we missing here? Devin Booker, 53 games last year. Sorry, almost forgot Devin Booker. The list here, the games played number for this board is atrocious. Ant Man, who did not look—I mean, he looked good last year—but from a per game standpoint, he was number number forty. Struggled in all three of the points leaguey, the points league non negatives: field goal, free throw, and turnovers. He played seventy nine games. There you go. There's your there's your next durable name on the board. So he beat a bunch of these guys by totals, but you know that's not the guy you want at the end of your first round. You don't want a someone to squeeze into the first round by totals. You want somebody that can blow the roof off when he's actually out there on the floor. And it doesn't stay great either. Freddie Van Vliet, pretty good durability last year, but has historically been kind of injury prone. James Harden is going to come into camp 45 pounds overweight. That's a mess. Mikhail Bridges, he is the definition of durable, but then he got Kawhi. How far are you willing to look? I'm not willing to look this far down the board. I'm looking at these guys. The reason we talked about Kevin Durant, AD, and Dame on yesterday's show is because those are the guys where you're like, okay, well, like these guys have first-round-per-game ability. I would find it personally, and I, you know, I don't know that I would yell at you if you made this decision, but I would personally find it extremely difficult to take a guy at pick nine who I didn't think had a chance to be in the first round on a per-game basis. And Kyrie definitely does. Durant does. Anthony Davis does. Kyrie does. Dame is kind of a maybe because we don't really know what his role is going to look like. In, I mean, we have an idea, but we don't exactly know what it would look like in Miami. Miami. JJJ is also kind of a maybe. He was number 12. He was hanging on by a thread, but he was right in front of Kawhi Leonard, who over an entire season, the way he played after he got his legs underneath him, he would have pushed JJJ out of the first round. And there really isn't anyone ahead of Jaron Jackson Jr. who is liable to fall or is definitely going to fall behind him. You know, there's a chance that Jimmy Butler would taper off if Dame is in town, so maybe that's the guy that allows JJJ to stay at 12, but what if Luka shoots 77% at the free throw line? He's a first-rounder then. I don't want to get caught too much up in this thing, but when you're looking for these first-round guys, when you're looking for that per-game ability, you're probably not looking for a guy who is beyond hyper, super, ultra elite in one category and barely a positive in anything else. But that, unfortunately, is JJJ, who finished at number 12 because his impact on blocks was so absurd. But if you even... If you just remove blocks from the equation, not that you necessarily have to punt it, uh, he's number 70. Without blocks factored in, He's a league average fantasy player. And he goes from league average to first round on one category. Which, I get it. Like, you know, Steph, five three-pointers. That's a clearly a very big deal. But he only falls to number 23 if you remove that. Because he's also very, very good in other things. Scoring, free throw percent. You have to have a few things that you can be that insane positive impact guy if you want to get my vote at number nine. So Kyrie Irving is an interesting example here of maybe not quite that. He's very, very good in points, threes, free throw percent, and he remains well above average in assists, for a guard, field goal percent actually creeps in there, but we don't even need to go that far. With JJJ, you've got one category where he is insane. I don't take anything away from him. Three blocks a game is nuts. But his second best category is rebounding at 6.8, which for a power forward or center is kind of meh. So I guess that means we're talking about JJJ next as a possibility at number nine. And if it wasn't immediately evident why I don't really want him there, it uh, I guess we can elaborate a little bit further. So one thing to keep in mind, John Moran is out the first third of the season, effectively. Is JJJ going to have to do a little bit more? Yeah, probably. So what does that mean? Well, the scoring was at 18.5 points per game last year. It's not like it's going to blow right out of the ionosphere <laughs> and go up to like 25 points per game for that two months. That's just sort of not who he is. He's not a volume scorer. He's going to do more. He'll get more than 13 shots per game. By the way, kind of insane that we have a first-rounder who only took 13 shots per game, but also Nicole Jokic only took 14.8. D- weird and useless comparisons 101 here on the show. So JJJ gets a little bit better in scoring, a little bit better in threes. His percentages are kind of a wash. So those doing more usage doesn't really help or hurt the cause all that much. So what does that that do for him? If everything else stayed exactly the same, which it may or may not, three blocks is hard to sustain for an entire year, but maybe he does it again. What does he do here? Does he move up to eleven? Does he move up to 10? But that's only for the first third of the season. I still think in looking at this, I'm concerned that some of this stuff can't hold. Does the field goal percent come back down? This is a big jump up from his sort of injury recovery typical field goal seasons, but maybe it sticks. You kind of have to assume that everything that took a flying leap forward last year remains exactly as it is or even gets better during those 25 games on a team that it's expecting to have their center back, by the way, Stephen Adams, who missed like a solid half, more than half of last year. And yeah, JJJ is still the last line of defense. He can roam a bit when Adams is out there. So doesn't have quite the impact you'd think on blocks per se, but rebounds, maybe distance from the bucket on offense. Maybe there's all these little things that get rolled up in it that make me think eh, there's some stuff here that might not be long time sustainable. Is it the most insane thing on earth if you decide to go JJJ at 9? It's not because his per game ability, and again, this is built so heavily on block, so you again, there's this grain of salt element. Who do we think finishes higher between JJJ and Devin Booker? I think the answer is pretty clearly JJJ. But if you're building a head-to-head team, I don't know that it's that obvious you want him over the other one. Now, Booker is a bad example because he was already down in the late 20s, uh, and his usage is going to, I don't want to say plummet. That's not fair, but it is going down this year. So he's maybe not the best example, because now you're comparing a guy who, yeah, it is built on one category, but JJJ at 12 versus Booker at like, you know, 40. Obviously, you're taking the guy at 12, because even if you wanted to pivot off of that later, you could trade JJJ for someone better than you could trade Booker for, I believe. So there's that other stuff that creeps in. But if you're comparing Jaron Jackson to like, I don't know, I don't want to say Anthony Edwards either. Maybe Freddie Van Vliet, who was 19 last year and might be asked to do even more in Houston. Or let's say James Harden does end up somewhere where he has a big role, not the Clippers, but someplace where he becomes the main orchestrator like a Bulls team. There's the injury risk there. But let's say he's svelte. Let's say Harden is in shape after all of this nonsense. We're at a lot of hypotheticals at play here. Who would you rather have at 12? Or nine, even? JJJ or Harden? Jaren Jackson beat him by five slots last year on a per-game basis. JJJ was 12, Harden was 17. But if you're starting a fantasy team, you probably rather have Harden. 21 points, which is a little bit higher than Jaren Jackson, but you get the better threes, you get the better assists. The rebound are actually frightfully similar. Harden gives you that big elite free-throw number. I know you're not going to win blocks automatically, and Harden's not going to win you one category by himself the way that perhaps JJJ can with blocks on a given week. But it just gives you more things you can build off of. And it's this weird discussion, and uh, Josh has actually been doing a nice job of it lately. Josh, Josh Lloyd, I say it like you guys don't know what I'm talking about, uh, of understanding when do these Z-scores matter and when don't they. A lot of the time, they do. I'd say 90 to 95% of the time, you can get your ranks the way you want them to. You can build the team effectively by looking at, and Basketball Monster has the values on their player rank page. You can see them over on that right side. You can generally build out a team using that information, but you also need to look at other stuff. And Jaron Jackson is a great example of someone who's going to get drafted at the end of the first round this year. But he's a pretty difficult player to build your team around as a first-round pick because of how much of his value is concentrated in one place. Those scores are not everything. They are a lot, but they are not everything. So grain of salt, a little bit here. And it's why at the end of all of this, and I ended up talking more about these two players than I thought I would today, so we might just put a pin in this after two guys. It's why... When I when I get to this we're back to the who do you pick at nine thing, you're probably not doing JJJ. You're probably not going that route. I am setting records on today's show for how many times I say just the letter J. Sesame Street looking for a sponsor. I certainly do a lot of counting on the show. Would it be great to do a, a fantasy basketball podcast? special guest, The Count, three, three blocks per game. That's why I think you look at some of these other guys, even with the risk, even with the injury risk. We haven't talked about the last few names on the board yet, so we, we got more guys that we want to cover here, but Anthony Davis, elite in scoring, hyper elite in rebounding, hyper elite in blocks, not quite to JJJ level, but... Big producer in field goal percent as well. You're getting one, two, three, four big, strong categories out of him. Kevin Durant, you're getting like six. But ultimately, if you want to talk about the ones where he's super elite, both percentages, blocks were very good for Durant, scoring very good. Even assists, actually, out of that power forward, small forward spot at five is pretty damn good. Even Damian Lillard, who I'm extremely concerned about this year, even if he takes a step back from 32-5-7, you're still going to probably start with a guy who's elite in scoring and threes and free throw percent. You're still looking at these first-round guys where you can build a team around them. You want to get multiple shots in the arm from your first round pick. Somehow you've got to find a way to get that done. I know it's hard here at the end of the first round because there is a big drop-off in safety, confirmation, whatever it is, after Steph Curry, but you got to find a way to do it. And the guys we've talked about so far, Kyrie is less of that, mind you, but he also has fewer weaknesses, so that's good on the Roto side. But Anthony Davis, four big categories, Durant, four or five... Dame three. And as we get to some of these other guys, you could probably make an argument that they have more strong categories. Or, I mean, even when you, even if you want to throw Giannis in there, yeah, he has, like, the single worst category on planet Earth. But a lead in scoring, rebounding, field goal percent, Previous seasons, he's been solid in defensive stats, On as good here, assists, he's positive. I mean, you're getting three super-powered stat categories out of Giannis there. Who's left on this list? Lamelo Ball, Devin Booker, Anthony Edwards. Those are guys where I am, admittedly, a little more nervous. I was kind of hoping Lamelo would go towards the end of the second round after last year, where he just didn't have it. Injured all year, wasn't himself, never really got his legs underneath him. But even he's an option to say, okay, probably elite scoring, threes, assists, steals, maybe free throws, depending on if that sticks. There's. He's ranked way below some of these other guys we're talking about from last season, but if some of that stuff comes back to where you want it to be, that's another that guy that you can build a team around. And that's both head-to-head and Roto. You just react differently after that. Head-to-head you try to patch up another few categories. You know, if you start with a guy like Anthony Davis, you're like, all right, great. Good start in scoring. Not great, but pretty darn good. Great start in rebounding, defensive stats, field goal percent. What kind of team am I going to build? Well, I'm going to probably make sure that I'm good in, that I stay good in the categories that he's already powerful in, and then I just want to add two or three more around it. Whereas if you're on the Roto side, you're thinking, awesome, I have a terrific start in three or four categories, i got to make sure that now I work towards filling in the others. And that, again, comes back to this Jaron Jackson thing. Head-to-head side, fine. You might not have to draft another guy who blocks a shot the rest of your entire draft, but there aren't that many guys the rest of the way that can float you in three, four categories, and you're going to need those if you're going to be competitive in more than five categories. Roto, starting on with one single, hyper-elite stat, that's really hard. Head-to-head a tiny bit easier, but... When I set out, when I did today's show, I did not set out to have it be this sort of knock JJJ thing because I I actually love some of the stat lines he puts up, but he's a really, really difficult player to build your fantasy team around as a first-round pick. The reason that it worked out so well last year was because You could get him at, like, 65 because he was coming off injury. Then, awesome. You had already built the foundation of your team. You just plugged in a guy who suddenly won you a category with your sixth-round pick. A la Brooke Lopez or Nick Claxton last year. Oh, hello. I just found a near-category winner at pick 125. That's why that stuff works. But that's... Where they finished is not probably where you're taking them this coming season. Same story for Jaron Jackson, Jr. Who, by the way, seems like like one of the genuinely good dudes of the NBA, and the Grizzlies need him to be one of their leaders this year because that team has been devoid of proper leadership as they've spiraled into the emotional toilet. Steven Adams, Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bain, I'm hoping those guys are kind of leading the charge. Marcus Smart will pick up some of that slack as well. I, do, I think the Grizzlies are actually going to be better this year than people think. There's been a lot of negative pub, but that doesn't have anything to do with Jackson's fantasy value, which is going to be good. He might still be number 12 per game this coming season, which you draft that at 9, you're like, okay, I didn't take much of a hit there, but you've got to think about what you're doing after that. And I guess you could def- you could look at it right now. Who do you think is going to be available for you coming back if you took JJJ at 9? So 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 are now off the board. Six guys come off the board, you're probably looking at Van Vliet, Harden, Mikael Bridges, Donovan Mitchell kind of thing. You're probably taking Donovan Mitchell of those dudes. Maybe Van Vliet. I don't know. So what are you good at now after two picks? Scoring? Kinda. Threes? Kinda. Rebounds, no. Assists, no. Steals, sure, you're probably good at steals and blocks. That ain't enough. Gotta have more. You gotta have more, because that stuff coming back in the second round, you can't get the impact of those dudes that are a top 10. The true top 10 per game, guys. The true ones. And yes, you can throw Luka into that mix. I know his his, his 16, but... His his per-game rank was 16, but the hyper-elite, the big impact, points, threes, rebounds, assists, even steals a little bit, it makes sense why he goes so early. I know the ranking isn't going to make sense, and in Roto, you don't want to take that hit up front, but in head-to-head, he's a very easy player to build around. That's why he still goes there. I wish guys like that would go more towards eight or nine like Giannis is going right now because I still think you can get dudes at the top of the draft that can give you four or five big positive categories without taking the one big hit. But I get it. I get it. Final thought on today's podcast is Luca. dot dot dot. I get it. <laughs> anyway, uh, so probably a big fat no to JJJ at nine and kind of a this might be the answer if you think Kyrie can get to 64, 65 games, he's on the table. Don't remove it. Once again, check out the All-Sport Fantasy Pass, $7 a month right now over at Sports Ethos. Before it goes up to 10 this is your time. This is our time to win in three different sports. Baseball, basketball, football, all included in one unbelievably affordably priced monthly subscription. SportsEthos.com. click on the premium tab get it today and then report back to me and you're like you can be like dan this was awesome i got the brewski 150 in this and that's where i started and then i got the nfl ranks and the baseball ranks and all the in-season stuff and the discord oh the discord so delicious anyway talk to you tomorrow about some more of these guys maybe i won't hate on them so much who knows but i'm grumpy dan these days you guys get to deal with the fallout later for now